Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. This morning we're going to ask the question and consider, do you love money? Do you love money? I dare say that uh, nobody here this morning hates money. But the question is, do you love money? If you do, the Bible says that there are great dangers and great disasters awaiting you in this life. The Bible gives examples of people who have, for the love of money, betrayed a close friend, disobeyed a direct command of God, lied to the Holy Spirit, perverted the gospel, and done many other sins. Therefore, you and I must consider this morning, do I love money? And if you do, there are grave dangers and disasters awaiting you. And then finally, we're going to talk about how to overcome and be set free from the love of money. Our passage is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy 6. Provided a place for you to take notes in your outline. Encourage you to do that. But 1 Timothy 6. We're beginning in verse 6 and we shall go through verse 12. But... Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take out anything out of it either. That's where the saying comes, you can't take it with you. That's biblical. You can't. And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich... Fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness Godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Do you love money? Now let me ask you some questions to help you determine if you fall into this category. How much do you think about money? That is, how you can make more. How you can spend what you have or what you can buy with it. How much time do you spend making extra money? That is money beyond your basic needs. Do you work a lot of overtime so you can have extra things? Do you work an extra job? Thirdly, do you compromise biblical convictions in order to make more money? Like maybe lie, maybe... Tell them what they want to hear so you can make a sale. Number four, do you admire rich people? 
Do you look at the television show, The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, with envy? Do you look at it with admiration, thinking, boy, I wish that was me? Do you make decisions based solely on the financial aspect? How much will it cost me? How much money is this situation going to cost? Well, you see, the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. People often misquote verse 10, and they say, Oh, but money is the root of all evil. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. Look at verse 10. There's nothing wrong with money, folks. It's nothing but paper with some ink on it. It is amoral. It's not good. It's not bad. Nothing is wrong with money. The scripture doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Look what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. The problem is in our hearts. Not the money itself. And there are two particular aspects of this heart condition that Paul talks about in this passage. The first one is in verse 9 when he says, Those who want to get rich. Now he's not talking about rich people at this point. He will talk about them later and talk to them later. He's just talking to people that want to be rich. Now you see the word want in verse 9? The Greek word there is the idea of a determined will. Something that you have set your mind to go after. He's talking to people who've set their mind on getting rich. Now Paul's not talking to those who may in a fleeting moment wonder, I wonder what it'd be like to be rich. Or to those of us who enter the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. He's not talking to those. He's referring to those that have set as their life's goal to get rich. That's their life's goal and ambition. They think, I want to make as much money as I can make, and I'm willing to do anything I have to do to get rich. This person's heart is set primarily on one thing, and that's money. How can I make more money? Their career decisions are based on that one question, what will make me more money? When they head off to college, they go thinking, what degree will help me make the most money? And they go after their pursuit of money in their education, in the field they go into, and in the career decisions that they make. Then he also says the second condition, not only those who want to get rich, who set it as their determined direction in life, but he speaks in verse 10 of the love of money. You see, it's that love of money that's the root of all sorts of evil. A person who loves money has attached his heart to money. Look again in verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it. See the phrase longing for it? That word longing means to covet. It means literally to be stretched out, to reach out for. I mean, this man deeply loves money. 
He admires his money. He loves to calculate how much money he's got. He likes to get his bank statements, his mutual fund statements, and he likes to go through and just see how much money he's got. He enjoys that. When the stock market is up, he's up. When the stock market is down, he is depressed. And this weekend, he's depressed. Because it really went down Friday. But his life is determined, his behavior, his attitudes by his money. If a business deal goes sour and he loses some of his precious money, he grieves like one who's lost a loved one. He just goes around sick for a number of days. He lays awake at night worrying about his money like some people lay awake at night worrying about their family members. His heart is attached to money. He loves it. And the Bible says because of this love of money and because he has set his life's determination to be rich, there are many disasters and many temptations that will await him. Now let's look at the dangers now of loving money that Paul talks about. Having stated the condition, now he says these are the dangers that awaits that person. First one is found in verse 9. And that is they fall into temptation. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation. You see, there are many temptations that come to the person that wants to get rich that don't come to other people. Take two people. One does not have this life's determination to be rich. He doesn't love money. The other one does. They both work as bank tellers. Now the one that does not have this life's determination to get rich is not tempted near as much, does not face near the temptations as the bank teller who loves money. The temptations to to embezzle, the temptations to, to take some is much greater. Because you see, temptation is a matter of the heart. It's an inward thing. The scripture says in James 1, but each one is tempted when he is enticed and carried away by his own lust. And so a person who loves money, that love, that lust for money, leads them into many temptations that others would not go into. They're tempted to cheat on their income tax. Does that strike a note? They are tempted to do crooked business deals because they make more money. If they're in construction, they're tempted to bypass the codes so they can make more money. Anything that will bring them more money becomes a temptation. That was a man by the name of Achan. Achan was a member of the nation of Israel. And they prepared to go into the promised land. There was one mighty city that stood at the doorway, the entrance to the promised land. It was called Jericho. God said, I'm going to give you Jericho. All you've got to do is march around that city one time for six days. On the seventh day, march around seven times. And I'm going to cause the walls to fall down. But everything in that city is devoted to me. It's kind of the first fruits of the spoils that you'll get in the promised land. Everything. Nothing in that city is to be taken by anyone. Because it was common in those days when a a nation invaded another nation or overcame a city that the produce of that city, the, 
the possessions of that city became the spoils of war, as the term is familiar to us today. And so it was common to do that, but he said, no, not in this case, you don't do it. God gave them the victory. The next town was Ai, and they went after it and got defeated. Joshua was all upset. He said, Lord, wait a minute now. You said we would have victory, and and here we've gotten defeated here. And God said, there's sin in the camp. Somebody, and God knew who it was, has stolen and taken things that they were not to take from Jericho. And so by process of divine leading, through the casting of the lot, they narrowed it down to this man called Achan. And Joshua pulled him up and said, Come clean, fella. Now that's my own translation, but that's basically what he was saying. And Achan said, Yeah, it's me. I saw this beautiful piece of cloth. And I just had to have it. And I saw this silver. Weighed about five pounds of silver. And I saw this bar of gold that weighed about one and a fourth pounds. And I just had to have it. And so I took it. And I went back to my tent and I dug a hole in the bottom of my tent and I buried it. Nobody knew, but God knew. And there was sin in the camp. It was because of Achan's love of money that he fell into that temptation to steal and to disobey a direct command of God. And he brought destruction on that nation. As a result of it, Achan, his family, and all of his possessions were burned and stoned. They were killed. God disciplined him. As a second danger, not only do they fall in the many temptations, but they are in verse 9, trapped. They are trapped. He says, fall into many, into temptation and snare. And that snare is a trap. It was the hunter's trap used to catch the animal. Now, much like in our day, the rabbit box. You maybe used a rabbit box or built one. And the basic idea is that you have the bait on a stick so that the animal can see the bait, the rabbit, or whatever it is, and he comes in, and when he takes the carrot or the lettuce or whatever, it moves the stick and it makes the trap door come down behind him and he's caught. Well, the idea of the snare is the trap, the bait that we go after, and then it catches us. The bait stick for the person who loves money is that lust that hunger, that driving desire to make money and more money and to have wealth and to have fame and everything associated with it and to gather all the possessions that come from having much money. And because of that, he is trapped by these lusts and he succumbs to many temptations. See, he's not only tempted by every sinful opportunity that comes around, but he is also trapped and falls victim to many of those temptations. There was a fellow named Judas. Does the name sound familiar? Judas was one who loved money. And it's interesting that people who love money tend to be drawn toward money. Did you know Judas was a treasurer? 
for the disciples of Jesus? Now, I'm not saying everybody that is a treasurer and everybody who's drawn toward money is this way. Now, don't get me wrong. Not every accountant is that way, but uh, or every treasurer that in an organization. But it's interesting that Judas was the treasury, treasurer of the disciples. He kept the money purse. A couple of times in Scripture, it talks about him pilfering, reaching out and taking some out of the till. And his greed, the Scripture gives, as his primary motivation for betraying the Lord Jesus for the money that the scribes and Pharisees would pay him. That's the Scripture motivation Scripture gives. And it was because of his love of money that he was trapped and he was snared and he fell into those many temptations. There's a third danger. That is that they fall into many foolish and harmful lusts. Again in verse 9. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now the word foolish and harmful need to be looked at. Now when Scripture uses the word foolish in this passage, it's not speaking in the sense of stupid, but in the sense of thinking like the world thinks. Wisdom is thinking like God thinks. Foolishness is thinking like the world thinks. And what he's saying is that though a person may be a believer, may be a Christian, that because of their love of money, they do many things that an unbeliever would be characterized by doing. It's almost like they act like they're pre-Christian days. A few years ago, over the University of Georgia, they noticed in the library that some ancient documents were missing. So they began an investigation. And they found out one of the librarians... No offense, Frank and Margaret. One of the librarians was stealing the ancient documents. Now that was shocking enough. But the real kicker for me was, when it came out, this guy was a Sunday school teacher at his church and very active in the church. You see, because of his love of money, though he may have been a believer... He was drawn into acting as an unbeliever would act. Worldly in his thinking and his acting and in his decisions. I mean, how many times have you heard of, of a banker being brought up on embezzlement charges only to hear, well, man, he's an upstanding member of the community. I mean, he's active in this club and that club and he's a deacon over in this church. And you think, how can that be? How it can be is he had love for money. And he was drawn away by this love for money into foolish and harmful desires. The word harmful there is detrimental in their consequences. You see, many people are in prison today because of their love for money. Many people. Many of the criminals in prison today are there because of these harmful and foolish desires that have plunged them into destruction. Now you see the phrase plunge into ruin and destruction? There's a word picture in that word plunge. It means to sink. It's the idea of a boat sinking. It's kind of like the your life is a boat. And the ocean is the ruin and destruction. 
And a torpedo are those desires, those lusts that come because of the love of money. And those lusts and those desires are the torpedoes that sink your life and plunge you into the ocean of destruction. And so we've got to be extra careful when we talk about the love of money. Jim Baker, many of you, I guess all of you know of Jim Baker and PTL. Now, I don't think there's anybody with any insight at all that can question that the love of money was the downfall of Jim Baker. And it can happen to those who are Christians or to those who are not Christians. As Paul says, they are carried away, they are plunged by their harmful desires into ruin and into destruction. Have you ever heard of the fellow name of Gehazi? Gehazi was a attendant, a butler, a waiter for the prophet Elisha. Now you remember Elisha and you remember a man named Naaman? Naaman had leprosy. And he got word that this preacher in Israel could heal him. And so he went to him. And he went to him with goods and gifts to give him, you know, for, for services. And Naaman didn't like what he originally heard from Elisha. And so he went back home kind of mad. And then he had a change of heart and decided to obey the instructions of the Lord. And he went and dipped in the Jordan River seven times. And when he came up the seventh time, his flesh was totally healed. It was like a newborn baby's flesh. Well, he was grateful. He was thankful. So he went back to the preacher, Elisha. And he wanted to give him some gifts. And Elisha said, no, I'm not going to take anything from you. I'm not going to want a thing. And so Naaman said, now you sure? No, don't want a thing. And Gehazi, Elisha's servant, was standing there listening to all of this. And he saw Naaman turn around and leave with all those goods. And so he waited until Elisha had gone back in the tent And then Gehazi took out after Naaman. Naaman, stop! Whoa, stop! So they got over the hill and Naaman stopped and Gehazi said, My master has had a change of mind. A couple of sons of the prophets have just showed up and he wants some change of clothes and, and, uh, and and some goods. And so Naaman said, Oh, I'll be glad to give it to him. So he gave him some changes of clothes and gave him some silver. And Naaman took off and Gehazi went back and stuck it in his tent. He came in to see Elisha. And Elisha said, Gehazi, what have you done? He said, you have taken that which does not belong to you. And because of that, the leprosy that was on Naaman shall be on you and on your descendants forever. Oh, his love of money plunged him into ruin and to destruction. There's a fourth danger associated with the love of money. That is a wander away from the faith. Verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. Now that term faith means the truth as confessed by the church. In our day and time we would say, man, he's wandered away from Christianity. That is, they grew up in a Christian home. They were taken to church. Many have been baptized. 
They say they're Christians, but they've really never been saved, never born again. They're what we call nominal Christians. They just claim to be, but they're really not. They may even give appearance that they are Christians. They attend church occasionally. They may get involved in a Sunday school class or whatever. But eventually, their love for money and their determination to get rich so consumes them that they wander away from Christianity. They wander away from the church. They wander away from the things of God. They say, well, I just don't have time now. Once I get established, and by that they mean once I get rich, then I'll come to church. Then I'll get involved. And so because of their consuming desire to have money, they've wandered away from the things of God. There was a man named Demas. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae and in the closing of his letter he gives a word of greeting from a friend of his, a cohort of his called Demas. When he wrote Philemon, he concludes with a word of greeting from Demas. About three or four years later, Paul writes a letter to Timothy. And he says, Demas has deserted me because of his love for the world. Demas allowed his heart to be captured by his love for material things, his love for the things of this world. And he fell away from the faith and from his service to Paul. And then the fifth danger Paul gives... Verse 10, they pierced themselves with many a pang. The word picture is of a man taking a spear and piercing himself. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? That you would take a spear and stick yourself. But that's how ridiculous this love of money gets in a person's life. You see, their love for money and their lust for riches results not in happiness, not in contentment, but it results in many pains and griefs. In the pocket of a rich man who had committed suicide was $30,000 in cash and this note. I have discovered during my life that piles of money do not bring happiness. I am taking my life because I can no longer stand the solitude and the boredom. When I was an ordinary workman in New York, I was happy. Now that I possess millions, I am infinitely sad and prefer death. He pierces himself with many pains. His love for money, his lust for riches, so consume him that he may acquire it, but at what price? His wife has left him. His children hate him. He has no meaningful relationships. All he has is his money. And that makes a poor companion. The devil says, oh, but there's joy in riches. Christ speaks of the deceitfulness of riches. What's deceitful about riches? It promises you happiness. It promises you contentment. But it doesn't deliver. It's deceitful. How many people have yanked their family up, moved them across the country for the purpose of more money. 
spent hours and hours and hours at work. His children have grown up. He doesn't know them. They can't stand him. He doesn't know his wife. She doesn't know him. For what? What does a man profit if he gains the whole world but loses his family? What has he really gained? There was a man by the name of Lot. Lot was a nephew of Abraham. Came a day that Lot and his men and Abraham and Abraham's men were having some problems. And so Abraham realized they needed to split, needed more room. So Abraham said, Lot, he took him up on a hillside and he said, Look as far as you can see all around you. You decide which direction you want to go and I'll go the other direction. Well, I believe in the heart of Lot was this love for money. And as he looked, he saw one area that was tremendously fertile and rich. The other areas were barren. And he said, I want to go over there where it's fertile and rich. Where my herds can graze and they can multiply and they can grow. Abraham, being the given man that he was, said, that's fine. You go that way, I'll take the barren area. Well, in that fertile green area were two cities. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot moved into that town. He was plagued continually by the the immorality of that area. Imagine trying to raise children in that kind of situation. Eventually, God was going to destroy Sodom. He sent word by angels to warn Lot to flee that city. Only hesitantly did Lot finally flee with his two daughters and his wife. His wife did not want to go. Her heart was captured by her possessions. She turned around disobeying the command of God and looked back, symbolizing that her heart was really still there. And she turned to a pill of salt. Lot lost all of his possessions. He lost his wife. The story goes on and becomes more sordid. His daughters, realizing that their husbands did not leave and did not come with them, may die childless, get their father Lot drunk, and have an incestuous relationship with him. And Lot has to live with that thought the rest of his life. Indeed, he was pierced by many pains. Those are the dangers of loving money. Now, how do you overcome the love of money? Paul doesn't leave us helpless and hopeless. Verse 11, But flee from these things, you man of God. These things being the dangers associated with the love of money. The dangers associated with wanting to get rich. He says, flee these things. The first thing you need to do is flee the love of money. The idea is run as fast as your legs will take you. Now this is not the flight of a coward. This is the flight of the wise. Flee the temptations. If you find that you're tempted to to love money, don't work around money. Man, that's just asking for trouble. Flee those situations. Flee the determination to get rich. 
If you find yourself making decisions based on how much more money I can make, say, no, I'm not going to do that. I will not have it as my life's goal to be rich. I refuse this as my life's direction. You can say no to it. You must say no to it. Realize that money cannot bring true fulfillment. And flee those harmful and foolish desires which would plunge you into destruction. They raise their head. You just say no and run as fast as you can go. Second step, follow God's way. Not only does He say flee, but He also says pursue. But pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. Seek God's kingdom first. Channel those energies that you've been consuming with making money, channel those into the kingdom of God, into seeking God's righteousness. Change your goal in life. Let it be designed spiritual riches, not material riches. And then thirdly, fight the spiritual war. Paul says in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. And you get so involved in battling the forces of evil, you won't have time to love money. You get so involved in standing up for the righteousness of God in society, in your community, in your nation, in your home, you won't have time to pursue money. You'll be too busy standing up for the moral concerns of this nation and for the righteousness of God. And then fourthly, take hold of eternal life. Paul goes on to say, Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Keep your eyes on eternity. This life compared to eternity is only like a mist. A vapor that's here and gone. Some of you have grown up using vaporizers. Now they say it's not good to have the hot ones so we have the cool mist. But if you get just in the right direction, you can see that mist, can't you? Just for a fleeting moment, though, and it's gone. God says that's what this life is like compared to eternity. Gone. Realize that what you're doing in this life is going to affect eternity. And don't consume yourself with with gathering around you and possessing material things of this life. When it's just going to be and gone. Be building up spiritual riches. Treasures in heaven that will last for eternity. Take hold of eternal life. Realize what's really important. Many of us live like this life is all there is. That we're going to be here for eternity. And only in heaven for a moment. Take hold of eternal life. Do you love money? Do you border on loving money? Have you seen some of these dangers in your life? By the grace of God, we as a people of God must take hold of the truth of God and walk in victory. Let's pray.
Father, we know in our materialistic society this love of money is an ever-present danger with many of us. With the pressures of others that have more and we want to have more. Father, we're so easily driven and drawn away So few of us are really content with the clothing and the shelter and the food that we have. But yet, Father, you've called us to be content. To be content with godliness. Do that work in our lives needed to bring us to the level of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if you've never come to that place in your own life personally, where you have surrendered everything you are and everything you have to the Lordship of Jesus, then you're not born again into His kingdom and you'll not be able to walk this life as He would have you to walk. When He says, if any man desires to come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I believe the call to Christ, to come to Christ, is the call of total surrender of our will, our possessions, our goals, our ambitions, our everything. To lay them before him and say, Lord Jesus, I've done everything the way I wanted to do it, but I'm coming to you. I surrender everything I am to you as my Lord, as the one who died for me, as the one who loves me and who has eternal life. And as you surrender all that you are to Him, and do so because you believe He is the Son of God and died for you, asking Him to be your Savior, then the Spirit of God wipes away your sins, and He gives you a place in heaven. And you can take hold of eternal life. Have you ever come to that place in your life? Maybe you don't want to surrender your riches. That's another sermon, but there was a man in the Bible that way. And he walked away sad because he loved his money more than he loved God. We're going to have a song and give you an opportunity during this song to make a response. Do business with God as we sing together. You can come down and pray. You may do business with God where you're standing, but do business with God.